This is the Bird Hugger Podcast with Katherine Greenleaf, the podcast for people who love birds. Welcome to the Bird Hugger Podcast. I'm Katherine Greenleaf, and I'm so glad to be with you. I'm on board for a full 30 minutes of talking all things birds and restoring native habitat. What happens when a burnt-out college professor living in New England decides to become a wildlife rescuer and rehabilitator? Find out on Bird Hugger, the podcast for people who love birds. Join host Katherine Greenleaf, who has been rehabilitating injured wildlife for 20 years, and hear how you can turn your backyard into a native oasis for birds. Hello there, everybody. I hope you're all doing well. Spring has sprung, and it's time to think about gardening. It couldn't have arrived fast enough, in my opinion. I think we've got a fun show for you today. Today, we'll be talking with Mariah Heinowich from Florida Keys Hawk Watch. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. If you are enjoying this show and like what we do, please help us out by subscribing or following us on your favorite app to access our free show. That way you'll get notified of what's coming, you'll never miss a show, and it will help us in the ratings. And now I'd like to introduce Mariah Heinowich. Mariah works with the Florida Keys Hawk Watch Program. This organization is keeping a close, careful eye on raptor species that migrate through the Keys. The information they are collecting is telling avian scientists a lot about the state of hawk populations in the U.S., Central America, and South America. Mariah, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me, Catherine. I'm excited to be here. Yes, I've been wanting to talk to someone from your organization for quite a while, so I'm very happy to have you on. I've always been Uh, fascinated by the work that you guys do. So could you tell our listeners a little bit about your job and what you do there? Yes. So while I'm at the Florida Keys Hawk Watch, I am the counter there. So every day for four months, I count from 9 a.m. till 4 p.m. and then 8 to 3 during daylight savings time. And we track migrating raptors through the keys. We stay out there all day and we we scan the skies looking for migrating birds that are heading through the keys. And we record data every hour. We take track of the weather, such as the wind speed, wind direction, cloud coverage. That is all important information to have logged. And then at the end of the day, we enter into a database called hotcount.org. And that is actually accessible for everybody to see. So you can look at our numbers for the day, the year, the past years, and really compare data that way. It's a great resource. Now, this counting that you do, is it just during the, the two migratory periods? We actually only do a fall migration count. We do not have a spring migration count at this site. So we are there August 1st through November 30th, which is actually a pretty new thing. We have extended the count by two months to include kite flight, we call it. So in August, there's not, <laughs> there's not much in Florida in August. You do not want to be in the Keys in August. It is way too hot. But that is the time that swallowtail kites are migrating. And so we started our season early 
to try and track swallowtail kites. What is it the your organization is trying to accomplish by counting? By counting, you can understand the population of raptors. So raptors are at the top of the food chain. Because raptors are at the top of the food chain, if there's something going on with them, then it affects everything. So that's why we count to understand their population and to also understand their migration patterns. Can you tell me a little bit about the history of the organization? Uh, Why was it formed initially? So it actually goes way back to 1989, where they used to do single day counts in October. So for one single day, Wayne Hoffman actually started this and got some others to join him. And it originally started on Boot Key in the Florida Keys. It's in the Middle Keys, uh, this little island that you had to take by bridge to get there. And now it's actually closed to the public. So that continued for several years on Boot Key, just a single day. And then in 1996, full seasons started. So they would count for what they was a full season and in Grassy Key, which is still considered the Middle Keys. And Cindy Brashier and Philip Stoddard started that. I'm sorry if I said those names wrong, guys. <laughs> and this continued on for a few years. And then nobody knew that raptor numbers like this came through the, through the keys because no study had, like this has ever been done before. So this went on for a few years until 1999 when Casey Lott with the Hawkwatch International organized it. And they, Hawkwatch International took over from 1999 till 2008, so over 10 years. That was the longest official full season count with the Florida Keys Hawkwatch. And then in 2009, there was actually no count due to funding. So in 2010, Hawk Migration Association of North America and Hawk Mountain Sanctuary reestablished the organization and Rafael Galvez became the director and he is still the director today. So it has blossomed into what it is today. And once it, once it started, there was just, you didn't want to lose such important data. You know, there's, there's, this is the southernmost point in the United States for hawk migration studies. If you look at a map, it's, these birds are coming through the keys because Florida acts as like a funnel for them. Birds like to follow land. So they all just kind of funnel into Florida and follow this land all the way down through the keys. And that's why we get these incredible, incredible numbers. We are known as the peregrine falcon migration capital of the world because we see thousands and thousands of peregrines and no numbers have ever been seen like that before. That is amazing. So the Florida Keys are really significant to migrating raptors then. Yes, they are because because of that funneling of the land. A lot of these raptors and songbirds follow land because the water's dangerous for them. You know, there's no place to rest, there's no food. It's it's really hard. So they they follow this land as like a security. And so that they can, they have a place to stop and they have food options along the way. It's not miles and miles of nothing. Right. And I would think it's crucial for the juvenile raptors taking their first migratory flight 
Yes, actually. A lot of juveniles follow the land and some, especially we see with broad wings at our site, they will go down and hit that wall of blue, that water. They see this, this vast openness and they turn around and we count, <laughs> we count thousands coming north again. And they spend the winter on the Keys. <laughs> and some do. Yeah, they, they spend the winter in the Keys in South Florida. It really is daunting, I think, for a juvenile raptor migrating for the first time. Is there solo flight? They don't know what to expect. The Keys must look <laughs> mighty enticing, you know, right? as a place to just hang around until winter's over. But you say some of them do continue further south. Some do and some stay. When migration starts to pick up in August, up north, and by north I'm talking about, you know, Canada, the northern states, Michigan, Illinois, New Hampshire, Vermont, that area, they start flying down. And do they all fly down? Do the species fly down separately or do they fly together in big groups? So it depends. If we're talking species, different species migrate at different times. So for us, August is swallowtail kites. There's not much else migrating in August. And then September and October, it starts to pick up more with the budios, which would be like broadwing hawks or short-tailed hawks are more in like November time. But October is peak migration for peregrine falcons. We like to, <laughs> falcons in general, but we like to say October 10th, we have deemed Dia de los Peregrinos because that day is just unbelievable with peregrines. They, we have counted the most peregrines on this date for quite some time now. In 2015, they counted 1,506 peregrines. That's amazing. So we like to say the second week in October, you need to come down if you want to see peregrine falcons. <laughs> That is great. So now where do they go? I mean, they fly through the Keys. They may stop and eat or take a break to rest, but they continue down across the Gulf of Mexico. Where do they go from there usually? Yep. A lot of them go to Central America and then continue south into South America. Depending on the species, peregrines can go all the way down to Argentina. A lot of swallowtail kites spend their winter in Brazil. So it's, it's, it varies by species. Now, are you involved in any of the satellite tracking that's being done on uh, raptors right now? I am, actually. I am involved with that through Avian Research Conservation Institute. They are based out of Gainesville. And I was actually lucky enough to work with, I've worked with Gina Kent closely. Last summer, we actually tagged a swallowtail kite together. Really quick story with that one. Amazing. This same swallowtail kite, we tagged it in South Carolina and it made its way all the way through Florida and came past the Hawk Watch. We counted it on our biggest kite day. We had counted over 1,400 kites this day and saw 900 passing at one time. And this kite that we tagged was in that group of 900. Wow, that is amazing. It was incredible. When Gina texted me, I was just like blown away. Now, what information did you get from the satellite tracker? Any, anything significant? Yeah, so they pin their location. 
And so we were in contact and she was telling me, so we named the the kite Black Swamp. (laughs) And she was like, Black Swamp is heading through Florida, just telling me how it's getting closer and closer. And then I had actually reached out to her, I believe, and told her about the day. I was like, this was incredible. We just saw 900 pass by in a 12 minute span. And we were just blown away. She said that that's probably the, the biggest migrating group that anybody has ever seen. And the next day she, she was able to give me the time that that black swamp passed by. And it was in that 12 minute span with the rest of them. Wow. Well, that's incredible. Tell our listeners about some of the challenges facing migratory raptors. The big challenge is habitat loss. That is everywhere. Everywhere there's a lot of habitat loss and that can affect them negatively because of rest. They they are moving, they're on the move, they're going, but they still need to to rest and refuel and that also contributes to the food. If there's no habitat, there's no food. So those are I would say the two biggest challenges in the Keys and a lot of places, many places. And I understand that rat poison is really affecting them too. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. That rat poison, like rat poison is a big one because you think you're just killing the rats, but you know, birds eat these rats and then the birds die because of it or get poisoned and end up dying. And it's a, it's a big challenge. I know it's quite graphic, but could you explain to our listeners what exactly happens? I'm not sure everyone totally understands the effects of the anticoagulant poisons that are out there. When the rats eat this poison, then they ultimately die. And the birds, these raptors, eat these rats. And that poison doesn't allow their blood to coagulate and they bleed out essentially even vultures with their their stomachs are pretty acidic but they are you can see effects from them as well right and a poisoned rat or mouse is a lot slower and easier to catch so they're kind of yes. very very attractive to raptors because they're easy to grab and eat yes and then the damage is done unfortunately yes exactly so now tell me how is your organization helping us better understand raptors and raptor migration. Where do you go with the numbers when you're done counting? So we do enter them into hotcount.org and that is accessible for everybody. So anybody can go on there and see our numbers, see our weather patterns for that day, who came through, at what time. And it also helps us understand how the weather affects them. So we actually saw this very well last year, unfortunately, during Hurricane Ian. So Hurricane Ian hit Florida at the end of September last year. And that is coming on peak migration for peregrine falcons. And I don't know if you saw the hurricane, but this was massive. This hurricane came in very strong. It hit the west coast of Florida, and it just covered Florida. This this hurricane was so large, it was the size of Florida. And, and then it just continued up the east coast for the next 10 days. And that's where 
a lot of our our peregrines are taking that that route, the Atlantic Flyway, we call it. And this was our lowest count of peregrine falcons since we've been doing full seasons, probably the history of the project. And it's really interesting because we watched this hurricane go through Florida and it's as if these birds could sense that and took a different route. And we can't say that for sure, but we can speculate because we counted nearly seven, 800 birds less than we did in previous years. But there's a hawk watch in Costa Rica called Cacoldi, and they counted 500 more peregrines than they usually do. So we're piecing it together and it makes sense that these birds took the other route and just went through Central America. How do you pick a spot to watch migrating raptors? Is there, are there some hints you can give us on how to pick Hmm. a good spot? That's a great question. Hawk watches are a great place, obviously. If you are able to get to one, that is a great start because you have others there that can help point the birds out and help you learn how to ID them. It's funny because the the keys are completely flat. How do you choose a site on the keys? It's good to have an observation tower. And we actually set up at Curry Hammock State Park in Marathon, Florida. It's in the middle keys. But we just count on the deck in the campground of their park. It's maybe... 15 feet off the ground, if that, honestly. So a tower is best. That's that's higher, maybe tree level or above. People can come visit us, actually. We have people okay. come to visit us all the time. We had, actually, last year at the peak peregrine time, it was perfect timing, we had a Raptor Research Foundation and a Florida Ornithological Society conference in Fort Lauderdale, and they had field trips down to the Hawk Watch. So it was really cool to have people there. You know, I got to meet a few people that started the hog watch and so many came down just to to see it. Wow. That's good to know. Okay. So Curry Hammock State Park. Yes. That is the place to be in the campground. Okay, folks, you all heard her. This fall, we will all meet at Curry Hammock State Park to watch the migrating raptors. I'd like to thank Mariah Heinowich for joining us today. For more information on the Florida Keys Hawk Watch program, go to floridakeyshawkwatch.com. Join Americans everywhere in the One Third for the Birds movement. Dedicate the back third of your yard to birds and other wildlife. Make this area a quiet zone with no leaf blowers or lawnmowers. Plant native trees and shrubs so birds have plenty of insects to eat. Create a safe haven for birds to nest and raise their young. You will be rewarded with many hours of bird watching fun. For more information on One Third for the Birds, go to the Bird Hugger page on Facebook. And that's it for today's episode, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Have a great week and enjoy the birds. Bye for now. Bye for now.